the podcast that is now called Paideia originally started as Storytime. So you might hear the podcast referred to as Storytime in this episode, but you are listening to Paideia with Cassie Michael. Hello and welcome to Storytime. I'm Cassie Michael and today I'll be discussing my thoughts on Chapter 8 of Ender's Game. So, Chapter 8 so far has been my favorite chapter. There's just so much good stuff in it. Um, well, it's not necessarily good, but there's just so much stuff to think about and, like, you know, so many, like, large ideas and themes in it. Um, so, in Chapter 8, um, Ender has been transferred from the Salamander Army to the Rat Army, and so he adjusts to life in the Rat Army. Um, there could not have been two more opposite armies than Salamander and Rat. So this army is less disciplined, it's more messy, and um, the commander isn't as good. Um, in this one, Ender is placed into a tune with, um, I think his name is Dink, Dink Minker. He's in Dink Meeker's tune, and Dink has been watching Ender. And so Dink knows um, Ender's strengths and weaknesses, and he sees potential in Ender. And Dink asked um, the commander of Rat Army to get Ender. Um, so Ender begins training with the Rat Army, and he keeps doing his training sessions with the launchies, um, but people and other commanders are saying that they don't like this. The launchies are told that they'll never be in an army if they keep training with Ender. So um, a lot of launchies stop coming, but some of them still come. Um, Ender is used in a battle. He um, is out in the battle room before the other army has come out, and he shoots people um, and freezes them as they come out, but he also gets frozen um, and iced himself. Um, and one training session while Ender is with the launchies, um, there are um, older kids in various armies watching, and they're kind of trash-talking them and um, egging them on, and there's like a impromptu battle during it, um, and Ender commands his little army of launchies, and they win. Um, and then the next day, um, they're like, okay, keep doing your practice sessions, and we'll send soldiers who need some extra practice to join you guys. Um, and Ender plays the fantasy game again. Um, and, you know, uh, 
the big part about this time when he plays the fantasy game or the giant's drink game is he finds a mirror and in the mirror he saw a face that he easily recognized. It was Peter with blood dripping down his chin and a snake's trail tail protruding from a corner of his mouth. In this chapter, Ender does act on his instinct and he his instinct is violence. This isn't the careful, calculated, strategically violent ender of the last one. Um, in this one, he is, in this chapter, he is more like Peter. Um, and um, another thing is that is important is Ender stays after training one day and um, doesn't go to dinner because he's not hungry. And he watches Dink like Dink had been watching him. And Dink uses the null gravity to kind of float and um, stuff like that. And then they have a long conversation. And Dink talks about his home and he talks about the game. And he talks about how, um, you know... The teachers are the real enemy, but the game makes it so that um, the kids see that the, each other are the enemy. And he also talks to Ender about how they're not children, and they're not normal, and the game and the school is making them all crazy. Um, so, that is chapter 8. And I'm excited to get into it and dive deep and see um, what I find. So one thing right off the bat that I notice about this one is the conversation between the teachers, generals, colonels, I don't know what their titles are, um, that happens at the beginning of each chapter. This one is longer than the past ones have been. Um, and we get some more insight into how this world works and um, how the um, international fleet works. And so we know one of the people that has been talking is um, Colonel Graff. And um, we find out that the other person is Major Anderson. Um, and they've made... Colonel Graff has like kind of unilaterally made a decision um and that decision is to change the game um he wants to make it unfair and he wants to make it hard for ender um and you know both here and later with um dink meeker we learn a lot about the game and I'm interested to put like what the teachers and like the people in charge say about it and what Dink is thinking in conversation. Um, and so we'll do that um, a little bit later. Um, but basically, um, Colonel Graff asked Major Anderson 
um, to be creative. Think of every stacked, impossible, unfair star arrangement you can. Think of other ways to bend the rules. Late notification, unequal forces. Then run the simulations and see which ones are hardest. Which easiest? We want an intelligent progression here. We want to bring him along. When do you plan to make him a commander? When he's eight? Of course not. I haven't assembled his army yet. Oh, so you're stacking it that way, too. You're getting too close to the game, Anderson. You're forgetting that it's merely a training exercise. So, Colonel Anderson doesn't like um, that Colonel Graf wants to completely change how they're going to be training um, the soldiers. And so he says... Um, I hope you will forgive me, Colonel Graf, but I feel that I must report your orders and my opinions of their consequences to the Stratagos and the Hegemon. Hegemon. Why not our dear Pole March? Everybody knows you have him in your pocket. Such hostility, Major Anderson. And I thought we were friends. We are. And I think you may be right about Ender. I just don't believe you and you alone should de should decide the fate of the world. I don't even think it's right for me to decide the fate of Ender Wigan. So you won't mind if I notify them? Of course I mind, you meddlesome ass. This is something to be decided by people who know what they're doing, not these frightened politicians who got their office because they happen to be politically potent in the country they come from. But you understand why I'm doing it. Because you're such a short-sighted little bureaucratic bastard that you think you need to cover yourself in case things go wrong. Well, if things go wrong, we'll all be bugger meat. So trust me now, Anderson, and don't bring the whole damn hegemony down on my neck. What I'm doing is hard enough without them. Oh, is it unfair? Are things stacked against you? You can do it to Ender, but you can't take it? Is that it? Ender Wigan is ten times smarter and stronger than I am. What I'm doing to him will bring out his genius. If I had to go through it myself, it would crush me. Major Anderson, I know I'm wrecking the game, and I know you love it better than any of the boys who play. Hate me if you like, but don't stop me. I reserve the right to communicate with the hegemony and the strategoi at any time, but for now, do what you want. So this is like something major, and it's a unilateral decision, and like... It just makes me think about currently the situation we're in with coronavirus and who gets to make decisions about what happens. Um, you know, department like most decisions that are made um, at like institutional levels, at least at college, it's not made unilaterally. There's a team, there's a task force um, that is keeping up with the data and making decisions. Um, and countywide departments of health are making decisions based on expert recommendations and um, their, you know, their 
knowledgeable about public health and keeping people healthy. And I don't think those decisions um, and stay-at-home orders that are being issued, at least out here in Colorado, are being made in a vacuum either. Um, And then on the other hand, you know, politicians who are not likely experts in epidemiology or infectious disease can also make decisions and politicians have a lot of power. Now some are following the recommendations of the CDC and the Department of Health and there have been governors who are issuing stay-at-home orders but then there's others who are like we want the U.S. to be open again. We're aiming to be open by Easter. But the articles I've seen and the ones written by doctors and experts and people who know what they're talking about, it's not like Easter's too early to reopen. And yes, um, the whole... It will ha- we'll have to reopen at some point, but the idea is like we're flattening the curve, and so that means that this um, pandemic will last longer because we're flattening the curve. But if we did nothing, our health systems and healthcare and hospitals would be overwhelmed. They would have too many patients and not enough staff, so it sucks the situation we're in and I'm sure everyone wants to be able to go where they want and everyone would love for America to be open again but at what cost? At the cost of people's lives? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And I think that unilateral decisions, decisions made by one person, aren't always the best. Um, And I think that non-experts can play a role in good decision-making. You know, um, having a team of people with different expertises and different focuses um, and diverse, like, opinions of thought and mind um, can make it so that the best decisions truly are made. And I think decisions also take more time than what we see here. So, um, yeah. Um, So, who should make decisions? And how should decisions be made? I don't know. I think collaborative is a good approach. And I think as many people as can be involved in a decision where it won't hurt the efficiency of the decision is probably best. Um, So another big theme I saw in here was like teaching and learning. So um, on page, so uh, one place I saw it really clearly is when Ender um, has first met Dink. And Dink says, I've watched your practice sessions with the launchies. I think you show some prom- promise. Bonso is stupid, and I wanted 
you to get better training than Petra could give you. All she can do is shoot. I needed to learn that. You still move like you are afraid to wet your pants. So teach me. So learn. And like that, just that, so teach me, so learn. Like, what is the relationship between teaching and learning? Like, obviously, you can learn for yourself, and, you know, like, you can, if you're motivated, you can learn on your own, um, but not everything you can learn on your own. Like, reading, I don't think I could have learned reading on my own. That's something that had to be taught to me, um, and research shows that it has to be like explicitly taught to a lot of students, and that just reading and just like being read to doesn't mean that you'll pick up on how to decode words. And for me, reading is a big part of how I learn. Like, I read to learn. I'm reading this book to learn. And I can do that on myself, and I can learn on my own only because I've been taught different skills um, of how to learn. I've been taught how to research, been taught how to evaluate sources, I've been taught how to question and how to be skeptical and how to, like, find the truth. And, you know, I've been taught how to read. I've been taught how to write, and, you know, I've been taught how to comprehend what I read, um, and I've been taught how to make meaning of all kinds of things, of music, of books, um, I've been taught how to make meaning of movies, um, and of art. And so, having the will to learn and what the motivation to learn is really important but teaching is also important um, it just makes me think of like schools and how you know um, at least for me when I'm teaching if my students aren't improving and if my students um, are not getting it I see that as my fault and my failure as a teacher instead of the student's fault and it's it's not their fault necessarily that they're not learning I know that as a teacher I can present things in different ways um, but I don't think that all teachers think like this and a lot of teachers see students as lazy and unmotivated and you know I don't necessarily think that that's true um, a lot of the times. I think that they're just not being taught in a way that works for them. So that was interesting. I also see it with the launchies and their want to learn. You know, they've been told that, um, they've been told, or, oh, I also like, then in Ender's first training session with his tune, they're learning how to fight from a launchy. They're taking moves that Ender did, and they're learning them and practicing them and making maneuvers out of them. And they're not happy about this until 
they see how effective it is and that there is some merit to it. Um, and so it's like, why do we teach what we teach? Um, and how can we show people that, yes, this may seem stupid right now, but what you're learning is important. Um, and then, you know, the launchies, um, their will to learn is very evident. Words out that any launchie who comes to your practice sessions won't ever amount to anything in anybody's army. Words out that the commanders don't want any soldiers who've been damaged by your training. They've been told that. Words are so powerful, especially coming from people in power above you, and commanders are definitely in power, and yet there's launches still showing up, and I think that's really incredible. Um, yeah. So, oh, observation is also learning. And we see like that observational type of learning when Dink is observing Ender. And as Dink observes Ender, he's also assessing Ender, which is a part of teaching and learning. And so he recognizes that Ender has potential and now Ender is getting trained. Um, and hopefully he's also benefiting the rat army. Um, because at least for the commander, Rose, winning is everything. Um, and then Ender also observes Dink. And him staying and watching Dink leads to, like, such a great conversation and such a great moment. Um, just, like, a lot to unpack in, like, those two or three pages that follow. Um, so I'm actually going to read them because I thought these pages were particularly powerful and part of my favorite um, parts of the chapter. Why did you wait? Asked Dink. Wasn't hungry. Well, now you know why I'm not a commander. Ender had wondered. Actually, they promoted me twice, and I refused. Refused? The second time, they took away my old locker and bunk and desk, assigned me to a commander's cabin, and gave me an army. But I just stayed in the cabin until they gave in and put me back into someone else's army. Why? Because I won't let them do it to me. I can't believe you haven't seen through all this crap yet, Ender. But I guess you're young. These other armies, they aren't the enemy. It's the teachers. They're the enemy. They get us to fight each other, to hate each other. The game is everything. Win, win, win. It amounts to nothing. We kill ourselves, go crazy trying to beat each other. And all the time, the old bastards are watching us studying us, discovering our weak points, deciding whether we're good enough or not. Well, good enough for what? I was six years old when they brought me here. What the hell did I know? 
they decided I was right for the program. But Nova, nobody ever asked me if the program was right for me. So why don't you go home? Ding smiled crookedly. Because I can't give up the game. He tugged at the fabric of his flash suit, which lay on the bunk beside him. Because I love this. So why not be a commander? Dink shook his head. Never. Look what it's done to Rosen. The boy's crazy. Rose de Nose sleeps in here with us instead of in his cabin. Why? Because he's scared to be alone, Ender. Scared of the dark. Rose? But they made him a commander, and so he has to act like one. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's winning, but that scares him worst of all because he doesn't know why he's winning, except that I have something to do with it. Any minute, somebody could find out that Rosen isn't some magic Israelite general who can win no matter what. He doesn't know why anybody wins or loses. Nobody does. It doesn't mean he's crazy, Dink. I know you've been here a year. You think these people are normal. Well, they're not. We're not. I look in the library. I call up books on my desk. Old ones, because they won't let us have anything new. But I've got a pretty good idea of what children are. And we're not children. Children can lose sometimes, and nobody cares. Children aren't in armies. They aren't commanders. They don't rule over 40 other kids. It's more than anybody can take and not get crazy. Ender tried to remember what other children were like in his class at school, back in the city. But all he could think of was Stiltson. I had a brother just a normal guy. All he cared about was girls and flying. He wanted to fly. He used to play ball with the guys, a pickup game, shooting balls at a hoop, dribbling down the corridors until the peace officers confiscated your ball. We had a great time. He was teaching me how to dribble when I was taken. Ender remembered his own brother, and the memory was not fond. Dink misunderstood the expression on Ender's face. Hey, I know nobody's supposed to talk about home, but we came from somewhere. Cre uh, the battle school didn't create us, you know. The battle school doesn't create anything. It just destroys. And we all remember things from home. Maybe not good things, but we remember... And then we lie and pretend that, look, Ender, why is it that nobody talks about home ever? Doesn't that tell you how important it is that nobody even admits that, oh, hell? No, it's all right, Ender said. I was just thinking about Valentine, my sister. I wasn't trying to make you upset. It's okay. I don't think of her very much because I always get like this. That's right. We never cry. I never thought of that. Nobody ever cries. We really are trying to be adults, just like our fathers. I bet your father was like you. 
but he was quiet and took it and then busted out and I'm not like my father. So maybe I'm wrong, but look at Bonso, your old commander. He's got an advanced case of Spanish honor. He can't allow himself to have weaknesses. To be better than him, that's an insult. To be stronger, that's like cutting off his balls. That's why he hates you, because you didn't suffer when he tried to punish you. He hates you for that. He honestly wants to kill you. He's crazy. They're all crazy. And you aren't? I'd be crazy too, little buddy. But at least when I be craziest, I be floating all alone in space, and the crazy she float out of me. She soak into the walls, and she don't come out till there be battles and little boys bump into the walls and squish out to crazy. Ender smiled. And you be crazy too, said Dink. Come on, let's go eat. Maybe you can be a commander and not be crazy. Maybe knowing about the craziness means you don't have to fall for it. I'm not going to let the bastards run me, Ender. They've got you pegged too, and they don't plan to treat you kindly. Look what they've done to you so far. They haven't done anything except promote me. And she made you life so easy, nay? Ender laughed and shook his head. So maybe you're right. They think they got you on ice. Don't let them. But that's what I came here for, for them to make me into a tool to save the world. I can't believe you still believe it. Believe what? The bugger menants save the world? Listen, Ender, if the buggers were coming back to get us, they'd be here. They aren't invading again. We beat them and they're gone. But the videos, all from the first and second invasions, your grandparents weren't born yet when Mazer Rockheim wiped them out. You watch. It's all fake. There is no war, and they're just screwing around with us. But why? Because as long as people are afraid of the buggers, the IF can stay in power. And as long as the IF is in power, certain countries can keep their hegemony. But keep watching the vids, Ender. People will catch on to this game pretty soon, and there'll be a civil war to end all wars. That's the menace ender, not the buggers. And in that war, when it comes, you and I won't be friends. Because you're American, just like our dear teachers. And I am not. They went to the mess hall and ate, talking about other things, but Ender could not stop thinking about what Dink had said. The battle school was so enclosed, the game so important in the minds of children, that Ender had forgotten there was a world outside. Spanish honor, civil war, politics. The battle school was really a very small place, wasn't it? But Ender did not reach Dink's conclusions. The buggers were real. The threat was real. The IF controlled a lot of things, but it didn't control the videos and the nets. Not where Ender had grown up. In Ding's home, in the Netherlands, with three generations under Russian hegemony, perhaps it was controlled. But Ender knew that lies could not last long in America. So he believed. Oh, wow. 
those few pages. So much going on. So first, the idea of the teachers as the enemy. Um, and that the game is a distraction and meant to distract them from who the real enemy is. You know, that's like a tactic. Like, that's Hunger Games-like, where, you know, you're in the arena and you're fighting against the other tributes and you're fighting for your survival. Um, but, you know, the other tributes aren't really your enemy. They're victims of the oppression of the capital just like you. And, you know, that's clear in um, Catching Fire um, as they're reminded, like, I think Finnick, I could be wrong about this because it's been a while since I've read the books, but I think Finnick um, is in the arena with Katniss and Peeta and he's trying to remind her who the real enemy is. Um, and that real enemy is the capital, and then it starts a revolution. So, I mean, is Dink a revolutionary thinker? Could he be someone to unite um, all of the kids and revolt against the teachers? Maybe. And then there's this whole idea of imposter syndrome, especially with Rose. Um, he's winning, but that scares him worst of all because he doesn't know why he's winning, except that I have something to do with it. Rose isn't meant to be a commander, but he has to act like one. Um, and, like, I'm sure that is imposter syndrome, and he's feeling a lot of that, like, um, imposter syndrome. And that, it must be very hard for him. Now, the part where Dink is talking about, like, we're not children, and we're not normal. Children aren't in armies. They aren't commanders. They don't rule over 40 other kids. It's more than anybody can take and not get crazy. That part, to me, really, that part really struck me. And, like, really made me think, like, these characters are children. They're children like in our world today and in like how I read it like what these children are going through this is not ethical like no yes there are child armies in our world but it's not ethical and you know children from those armies oftentimes find refugee statuses and our world views that as a human rights violation um I'm pretty sure so like I don't know it just kind of breaks my heart that like these are children and that in this world in this future world after that has been devastated by this bugger war that they're preparing it just is sad that they have to resort to putting children through this harsh um, and, like, unethical and this training. It's just so sad. Um, I also was struck that Ender's been at the battle school a year. Um, one thing I haven't really been paying attention to as I've been reading is the passage of time. So to me, like... Him having been at the battle school a year, that seems like a long time. 
Oh, I guess I do remember it mentioning his birthday earlier, but um, I need to pay more attention to the passage of time. And then again, I loved Dink's vulnerability in talking about home. And here, Ender was more vulnerable with Dink than he was with Ally. And, you know, Ender shares a little bit more of himself and a little bit about home with Dink. And so that vulnerability, I am always, vulnerability always really speaks to me um, and is just really powerful for me. And so I loved that moment. Um, and then just all the talk about being crazy and being normal. Um, you know, I wonder if there is such a thing as normal. You know, everyone has different life experiences and no two life experiences are the same. You know, there might be general patterns and trends of like how people develop and like, you know, what might be appropriate for the development, but that doesn't mean every child will develop in that way or that what's developmentally appropriate for one child will be the same for the other. So if we are unique and if we are different and if everyone has their own unique um, life experience but can empathize and have some like shared common experiences and like there's something I think that is the human experience and that's something that we all experience in different ways. Um, but is there such a thing as normal? And then thinking about normalcy, right now, our world, the world we're living in with coronavirus and COVID-19, it's not normal. And when I think about, will we ever get back to normal? I don't think so. I think we'll find a new normal. But then, was there ever a normal if what is normal is always changing, you know? Um, as things happen and as tragedies, pandemics, um, natural disasters happen, you can never go back to the normal that was before, but you can find a new normal. So if normal is constantly changing, like, does it exist? And then, you know, the whole part about being crazy I mean, I don't necessarily like that word because, you know, it can often, like, it's been just how it's been used um, to, like, mock or dehumanize people who have, like, mental illnesses, you know? So I don't necessarily like the word. Um, but I guess in this case, they're, the way they think and their brains are being rewired to think in a way that, you know, many outsiders would perceive as not normal or might perceive as crazy. And, like, I can definitely see that their brains are being rewired by the teachers because the teachers know what they're doing and how to manipulate and how to create experiences that will rewire the brain. Um, but I don't know if I think that they're crazy. I think that they're just 
doing the best in the circumstances that they're living in. And I don't know if I think that they're crazy. Then the whole idea of the whole bugger war and the threat being fake, I was like, oh my gosh, that like moment was like, wow, I never thought of that. And, you know, again, I was brought back to my first year in my paideia class um, where our second semester question of the, of the semester was, how do we know what we know and how do we know it is reliable? Um, and so, like, how do we know that the buggers are out there? How do, how do they know that there is a threat? How can they trust um, what they've been seeing? You know, I also think back to the Hunger Games and they used to show footage of District 13 um, and would have people go out to District 13. Um, but they realized, or Katniss or someone realized that the footage of the ruins of 13, it was always the same. And there was always a mockingjay or like a bird that flew at the same time um, in the different footage of 13. And that's when they realized that, what if 13 still exists, you know? And what if it's out there? What if we could reach it? And, you know, eventually they do. And so like, yeah, videos can be manipulated, you know? Um, actors who have died are still at movies, you know? Um, you know, they put actors who are dead and cannot act in the movies into movies still, so they can manipulate previous film. So, are videos and things you see with your own eyes reliable? And then, like, what struck me was Ender knew that lies could not last long in America. So he believed. And just that lies couldn't last long in America is what really struck me. Because I don't think that's true. I think that lies last a long time in America. And, you know, there's a lot of corruption here and a lot of lying and scheming and um, a lot of that within our government and our political leaders um, they tell a lot of lies every single day you know um, and you know you can't trust necessarily everything you're reading or hearing and you know you know um, the best media diet is like one that comes from a wide range of sources because then you get different perspectives and you know the truth will lie somewhere in the middle of all the different spins and um, twists and turns of the truth that um, politicians and the media can make. So that one spoke to me for that reason. So, yeah. Yeah. So now, 
Um, another theme I saw in here was power. Obviously, um, there's the part about like the why behind if there's not a threat, why is the IF going through all that? And that's to remain in power. But um, there's also the part where Dink was talking to Ender um, and Ender was saying like, I still want to practice with the launchies. He's like, I want you to do that too. Um, and, um, uh, Dink tells Ender, listen, Ender, commanders have just as much authority as you let them have. The more you obey them, the more power they have over you. So, um, yeah. I don't know if I believe what Dink said. Because, you know, I've learned about, like, you know, critical race theory and um, different ideas about, like, how power structures are built. And a lot of it is, like, culturally and societally ingrained power structures. Power structures that are um, in-laws and that are systematic and that put groups of people in power over others. Um, and, you know, when you are oppressed and when you are a marginalized group, um, you don't necessarily always have a choice or you can't necessarily always just not obey those in power because really serious consequences could happen if you do that because those people are in power. But I guess Ender, he's not powerless in this situation and he's not like necessarily marginalized and so he does have power because he is a genius and because he is the hope of the IF. So for him, he can choose, and he has the privilege um, to choose to obey or disobey those in power above him, but I don't think that everybody has that power, and I don't think that that's how power works. Um, but I don't know enough about power to know exactly how it works, except for that it's like not something easy, easy to just like overturn and it's something we need to keep working at um, and looking at and finding like where in like institutional policies and in like um, our like governmental um, like uh, the ways processes and ways of government and legislation where is one group of people um, benefited and another not? And how can we right that wrong? And like, who is making these decisions? Who's at the table and who is like looking at all this stuff? Um, and you know, when we see injustices in our world, when we see people being oppressed and being marginalized by the way things are done or the way things have always been done, we have to 
call it out and we have to make things uncomfortable and we have to work to change it so that we can really be more equal or more equitable. Um, and there's a lot of work that we can do around that um, because we have very, there's a lot of work we can do around that. Um, yeah. Also, I think power changes people, you know? Power, I'm sure, changed Bonso into how he acts and how he treats people. Power is giving Rose imposter syndrome. And, you know, in Harry Potter, we see that power changes Dumbledore. And Dumbledore learns at a young age that he cannot be trusted with power because he make some bad decisions when he's faced with power. Um, but pow having power also changes people and not necessarily in a good way. Um, so another theme I saw in here was identity. Um, so back to the beginning um, and the opening of the chapter um, when Major Anderson and Colonel Graff are talking about the game, Major, um, Anderson says, it's also status, identity, purpose, name. All that makes these children who they are comes out of this game. When it becomes known that the game can be manipulated, weighted, cheated, it will undo this whole school. I'm not exaggerating. So we see identity is tied to the game. And, you know, um, when Dink was talking about why he doesn't go home and why he's still here, that he can't give up the game and that he loves it, it almost sounds like he's addicted to it. Like, you know, I'm sure, like, when they win, endorphins are released and, like, those endorphins could be addictive. Um... It, it almost sounds like that. Um, but then I really saw identity again at the end of the chapter. That's really interesting that it's at the beginning and end. Because um, Ender is, he's just played the fantasy game. And, you know, this time he didn't hesitate and he didn't think about the violence he was going to commit. Um, he just did it. Um, just like when he was with Stilson, and just like when he broke Bernard's arm, he just did it. He didn't think, he acted. Um, and so he sees Peter's face, um, in the mirror. Um, and then he dreams about Peter and about the fantasy game. Um, he says, this game knows too much about me. This game tells filthy lies. I am not Peter. I don't have murder in my heart. And then a worse fear, that he was a killer, only better at it than Peter ever was. That it was this very trait that pleased the teachers. 
It's killers they need for the bugger wars. It's people who can grind the enemy's face into the dust and spatter their blood all over the place. Well, I'm your man. I'm the bloody bastard you wanted when you had me spawned. I'm your tool. And what difference does it make if I hate the part of me that you most need? What difference does it make when the little serpents killed me in the game? I agreed with them, and I was glad. So, here, Ender's struggling with his identity of, like, who he is and what his nature is. And he's not happy with it. And I wonder what role your identity and how you identify and how you live out your identity, I wonder what role that plays in being able to lead. Um, and I don't know. Are you a more effective leader if you are secure in your identity and if you like yourself? Um, or are you more effective if you don't like yourself and you hate the things you do and I I would guess that you're probably more effective if you like yourself but I don't know um, I don't know Colonel Graff doesn't necessarily agree with everything that he's doing or like everything that he's doing as we've seen at the openings of chapters um, but it seems he's doing a good job at them. Ender is getting smarter and smarter, and he's doing the impossible, and he's excelling in battle school. Um, I don't know. I'm sure in Harry Potter, Dumbledore didn't like what he had to do to Harry and how he had to get Harry ready to be killed um, but he did it anyway for the greater good but I don't know that goes back to do the ends justify the means and I don't know that they do I don't know that they do but also Sometimes you have to make sacrifices, and sometimes you have to sacrifice your ethics and your morals, and I guess what you do in time in hard times, and when you're just trying to survive, that shows your real character and your real ethics and morals. But I don't know. So I also saw identity in this chapter. Um, yeah. So I guess. Um, to put, like, what Major Anderson says about the game, or the training exercise, and what Dink says about it is, um, for Major Anderson, he equates it to identity, purpose, name, um, it what, it, it's what makes these children who they are, and for Dink, it's more of a passion, it's a love, it's something he can't quit, something he can't give up. Um, kind of like an, an addiction, um, sort of, um, and so I guess 
putting those in conversation. Um, I guess that love plays into Anderson, plays into Dink's identity and his purpose. Um, and I'm guessing Major Anderson, he feels good and he feels fulfilled when the children love the game and when they enjoy it and when they learn from it and train it. Um, so they kind of seem to have similar views about what the game is. Wow, this was a great chapter and had just so much to unpack in it. Um, so if you've made it this far, thanks for sticking with me through this longer than normal episode. And I look forward to reading the next chapter and um, unpacking it with you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for sticking through it this long and listening. Um, I want to announce a new um, series or kind of segment that I'll be doing, which is um, getting to know people better through their favorite movies. So I'll have different guests on my podcast, hopefully, um, and I'll interview them and ask them about their favorite movie, and then we'll watch and discuss that movie. Uh, And I think, you know, you can really get to know people through their favorite things and through the stories that they hold close to their heart and hold um, near and dear to them. And so I'm excited to get to uh, connect with some friends during this time of social distancing and, you know, get to get to know them better through their favorite movie. So that will be coming up soon. So look for those episodes along with um, continued Ender's Game chapter episodes. Thank you so much for listening. This is Cassie Michael, and this has been another episode of Storytime. Time.